Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to another edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And I'm Simon Hart. Hello. Hello, hello and welcome aboard to the podcast. I've been a long-time listener, so I'm very pleased to be invited. Thank you. Well, back at you because I'm an enthusiastic listener to your podcasts. And would you like to tell our listeners where people can find you? Well, the main one has been um, my Blake 7 podcast, Maximum Power, where we are currently recording episodes of Series B at the moment. Um, Series A went down really well, but I've been a guest on lots of other people's podcasts. So the Trap One podcast, A Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife. And recently, Gallifrey's Most Wanted. So, yeah, people keep asking me, which is really lovely. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on board with us today. What are we going to be watching, gents? Well, as we have a guest on board, we thought it would be nice if Simon chose what we're going to watch. So, what do you fancy? So, yes, so I'm very sorry. I'm inflicting more episodes of the Tomorrow People on you. (laughs) always happy to watch the tomorrow people even the bad ones but you've not picked one of the bad ones really rather no, a good I one. one of the actually good ones and which is this this is the dirtiest business Ooh. which is the very first story of hang on where are we season five we're down to three tomorrow people after they've sacked peter vaughan clark and dean lawrence as tyso from the previous series <laughs> so we're down to mike Elizabeth and John. Tyso and Stephen just disappear. They're not written out at all. There's not any explanation. It's just turn around and they're not there. I was going to ask no, you both. And neither this. of them are mentioned ever again, I don't think. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you both this. Are they, generally speaking, written out or do they just appear and disappear from series to series? Sometimes you will get a they're doing diplomatic stuff on the galactic trig. I think that's what they say about Carol and Kenny when they don't reappear for season two. Tyson Mostly, and Stephen they just, just disappear. Sort of disappear. <laughs> and after that, is there anybody else written out? I mean, they bring in Sutai, they bring in Andrew, and Elizabeth no, kind of we've got bounces backwards and forwards. Haven't we for the rest of the series? I think Elizabeth goes off to the trick for a while when Liz Adair was pregnant, but otherwise, this is everyone. Well, I mean, certainly the the ones that they've got stay the distance. They're, they're still yet to add Sue Tai and her marvellous acting ability. Mm. Um, and the same with Andrew. I get the feeling that we're going to yeah. need a drink to cushion the blow of this one. Uh, should I whip out the tonic <laughs> screwdriver and get the lid off the gin? You're absolutely correct, but not in the way that you think. Today we are drinking Edinburgh Gin 1670. It's one of their limited editions. It's 43% and the info bollock says that the Royal Botanic Garden was established in 1670 as a physic garden at the time when plants took their place at the forefront of scientific and medical research. Botanicals were distilled into tinctures and used by doctors and apothecaries. While our IBGE gin has no such medicinal claims... It is distilled using many of the same ingredients to produce a gin, evoking the work of those pioneers of modern medicine. Yes, yeah, so that seemed quite an appropriate gin for you, given your day job. Well, yes. So, yeah, I, I work for the 
for the RHS at the Garden at Wisley. So, yeah, uh, I think it was quite appropriate. And it's very tasty. Well, just looking at it... A bit of a louche. A bit of a louche, a micro louche. <laughs> just, a, just a whisper of fog in there. What, what are we getting? What's the nasal appraisal? No, upstairs. Thank you, Alan. Bless you. <laughs> he's here in spirit. Um, well, it does have quite a, a sort of a floral, not sweet floral, but a subtly floral smell to it. Yeah, I can't quite pick out what it is, but yeah, it's definitely floral. That's odd, because it's, it's got a bitterness to it, but it's also got quite a florally sweet flavour to it. And the two work quite nicely together. This is this is a nicely done gin, but it's an odd gin that I can't really get a, a full handle on. But I am enjoying it. You know when you, you eat fresh mint, it's got that sort of tingle to it as well. I wonder what they've hurled in here. Are we allowed to know? Does the bottle tell us? No, it does not. It's a oh. secret. What do we think then? In terms of Bernard's, how many are we giving it, gentlemen? Out of five. I'm going to give it a four. I think this is very nice. Mm. I'll give it a four. It's nicely yeah, interesting. Think, yeah, four sounds good to me. I, I'm not a huge gin drinker, but I could drink this. <laughs> I'm quite liking this. It is, as ever, Simon's made an industrial tincture. Uh, it's it's quite it is quite nice. I've mixed a gin. <clears throat> yes, the bottle's suitably damaged. Well, moving on, grab your glasses, gentlemen. We'll descend into the under gallery here at Podcasting House and open up the Black Archive. <laughs> Simon, as our guest, would you like to go first? What are you rescuing from the lost TV history today? And just mind yourself on the right. Silurian. He can be unpredictable. Oh, yes. I, 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 do, I keep saying I tame Silurian spaff, but he's not. He tends to come down here and bivouac out with his crisps and snacks and things. So uh, mind what you're treading in. He's not keeping everything secure properly, is he? <laughs> well, he does spend an awful lot of time in the Imaginarium. We don't really want to know why. <laughs> it's probably best not to. <laughs> Um, anyway, as a big Blake 7 aficionado, I'm going to put in the episode that I podcasted on yesterday, Star One, which Ooh. is a particularly brilliant episode of Blake 7, and one that I think is probably maybe the best episode, although it's not my favourite one. It's just really, really great, full of intrigue, full of lots to discuss, and has Jacqueline Pierce at her possibly finest i think so yeah it's a i think it's worthy of a place in the black archive oh so you're you're doubling you're making absolutely sure it never gets lost we, we, can, we yes, can work with that completely yes sorry <laughs> no 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 that's quite all right i mean if, if we well sticking with the theme there i'm going to do the same thing uh but my episode of blake seven i don't know what it's called but i think it's the last episode with blake in it before he makes his reappearance it's the one where the liberator disintegrates they fly ah, uh, Avon's is that the one well uh, Avon's determined to fly through this cloud because it's uh, it's on the way to, to Blake and I found that a really dramatic episode and you know Zen's there trying to save them all and dying at the same time and oh yeah it, it, that was brilliant so I'd like to save that one I'll give that our our golden spaff award they're both going to go into the deep vault the deep vault of the black archive yes right <laughs> The Black Archive keeps getting rooms added to it. Yes, it will. <laughs> we keep tunnelling new rooms down here. Well, it's a good job we've got a Silurian it to is. do that kind of thing for us. It's in the Imaginarium, probably with Lady Vastra's only fans. Oh dear, oh dear. Uh, Dr. Exton, what have you got for us today? Well, I, I think with both of you going for Blake 7 
favourites, I'm going to have to follow suit. And it's really difficult because I love Blake 7 and there are so many episodes that I really enjoy. Really split between three. I love Mission to Destiny. I love Killer. But I think for the... Mainly for Jacqueline Pierce's what I think is her best performance in the series. Does she do big arms in it? She always does big arms. I'm going to go with Sand. Oh, good choice. I think that is actually... I seem to remember an interview on... When UK Gold got the repeat, I think it was the early 90s, I'd never seen them before the UK Gold repeats, but there was an interview with uh, Jacqueline Pearson and, and quite a few other stars, and I seem to remember her saying that her favourite episode is Sand. What's the premise of that one? There's a research base on a, a planet that has living sand. The sand enjoys meat, but doesn't eat it, just preserves it, and has killed off all the people on the, on the research base. It's Servalan and... Uh, the good Travis or the bad one? No, Travis isn't, isn't in this. Uh, she, there are a, a few people on the, on the base and they've realised what the sand is mm. and the fact that they quite like a variety of meat. So they, uh, they plan to keep one man and one woman alive, and obviously the woman Servalan, as breeding stock. Hello, and, hello. Oh, my mind's going blank about whether it's Avon or Tarrant who's down there. I think It's it, Tarrant. Yeah, I, I thought it was Tarrant. It's just a really... It's a character performance. Rather, the plot isn't actually particularly important. It's kind of a. Is it about the closest that Blake Seven gets to a base under siege? But a really weird Blake yeah, base really, under siege. I think so, but in the meantime, you get a sort of huge exploration of what motivates Servalan as well, which is really fascinating. It's a fantastic episode. I cannot wait until Maximum Power does that that episode because I'm really looking forward to what you guys think about it. I think we'll be positive. We're big Jacqueline Pierce fans. I, I have gathered that. With that, gents, I shall slam the door. Those those three episodes of Blake Seven are now in in the Stasis booth, preserved for all time. Well, here we are, back in front of the screen. Uh, it's Ron VT. Without further ado, on the Tomorrow People series five, did you say? First story of series five, two episodes, and Ken. Brace yourself, this is like no tomorrow people you've seen previously. Yeah, you say that about everyone, they're getting steadily worse. <laughs> um, different kind of bracing. Yourself. If this is another man for Emily, uh, we're going to have words. Without further ado, oh, Ron VT. Very different to a man for, for Emily. <laughs> yes, there are no leotards in this. I went to the Russian embassy. What on earth did you do that for? Well, I thought they might be able to do something to help Pavla. Don't worry, Pavla. We're going to take you away from here. And you needn't worry about your boss. I squared it with him. Mike, what do you mean? Well, I talked to your boss. You know, Comrade Stavlovsky. I told him the SIS had got you and put you on that mind-reading machine. That it wasn't your fault if they find things out. Oh, no. Get away from me. We'd better get out of here. What? What's going on? Get away from me. Get away from me. Get him away from me. Come on, Mike. What is going on? Every important KGB agent has a small explosive device surgically inserted in their bodies. It can be detonated by remote control if the KGB think that they're giving secrets away. Well, I can use my special powers to stop it going off. No, Mike! Leave me! Leave me, run! I thought I can help you. No! 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 That... That 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 was different. There were no leotards in it. You were quite right, Doctor Exton. Would one of you gentlemen like to give us a precy of what we've just watched? 
Si, as our guest, would you like to tell people what we've just... Okay, so we start off in London in 1977 at night, so expensive night filming, which is unusual, and there's a car driving through, and we've got a young girl in the back of the car, and this is quite unusual for the Tomorrow people, because usually it's a young boy that is, is sort of the protagonist of the story, so I think this might say something about the originator of the series and the writer of the series, but there we go, and um, I, I wouldn't are know. You, like are you thinking say, about Worlds Away from, <laughs> by any chance? Yes. <laughs> of course, Worlds yes. Away, Peter the Guardian of Time. The, and the planet of the slave boys. <laughs> um, the the neo-Roman uniforms in a rift in time. Yeah, there, there are a number of examples. <laughs> yeah, there's the public school boys as well, isn't there, who all wear kilts. Is there a touch of the homoerotics going through the Tomorrow People? Because what uh, did we watch? Living skins. <laughs> living skins and there's a couple of gratuitous cock shots while they're, they're stripped down to their undies. <laughs> It takes quite a bit for me to bulk, uh, but I thought that that was a little bit uh, near the knuckle for a children's TV programme. Especially seeing as I think mine was supposed to be about 14 at the time. Yes. So that's a... Moving on, back to the, the 70s plot. were a different time. <laughs> so the young girl escapes from the car. We don't know why or what's going on at this point, And she's sort of down the back streets in what looks like Soho. And yeah, it's all quite sleazy London that they're they're visiting this week. And then after the amazing titles, which every time just take my breath away, I can't believe this show got something that is so brilliant as a title sequence. And a theme tune. Um, it is just one of and, the yeah, best ever best. TV theme tunes. Yeah, really, really good, isn't it? And then suddenly the Tomorrow People base has been violated by the SIS, the Special Intelligence Service who shouldn't know where no one should know where their base is so again what i really like about this episode is all the time everything is slightly off and different to how it usually is so usually there's no one extra in the base no one knows where it is unless they're sort of brought in by one of the tomorrow people so immediately it sort of feels like we're on the back foot and as it turns out we're in the middle of russian intrigue which is sort of pretty pertinent really right now isn't it yes as we're, as we're recording this we're four days into the russian invasion of ukraine so very pertinent uh, if we survive mm-hmm. enjoy the podcast <laughs> and so this young girl who apparently is called pavla has disappeared but at this point no one quite knows why she's important the tomorrow people have been stunned and they brought round elizabeth who is sort of being questioned about why they kidnapped Pavla, but they know nothing about her. So that leads Elizabeth, Mike and John off on a hunt for her. So they send Mike off to the discos. John has a good chance to tell Mike off, which he always seems to enjoy and gets a chance to do every episode. And Elizabeth goes off and is accused of being a prostitute, which is really unexpected and really quite dark. Well, they're they're sort of searching for us. So there's real hints of the down and out and drugs. And it's all sort of really quite dark and unusual and grown up for the series. In a way that it never was before or since. No, no. Which is why I really like this story, because just for once, it sort of gives you a glimpse of what it could be at sort of any given time. Um, But it never quite reaches this again. Until Big Finish. Um, and there are some really quite adult explore, uh, explorations of what it means to be a tomorrow person, um, what limits there are on, um, on what they can do and how far they can stretch the moral compass 
Have you heard the the Big Finish Tomorrow People audios? No, I never they're never got brilliant. them at the time. They unfortunately, and I've regretted brilliant. it ever since. Yeah, because they're not they're not available anymore. And the the final season when they were just coming to wrap everything up, and um, I, I haven't heard. I'm, it's locked away in the Big Finish vault yeah. and not allowed to be released. And poor Nigel Fairs on this because this was his absolute masterpiece. But if you get a chance to listen to them, they are absolutely brilliant. So, sorry, I, I, interu- I interrupted the uh, the, the pricey. So, yes, so um, Mike goes to possibly the worst disco in the world, where obviously he's drinking coffee because he's massively underage, and <laughs> everyone seems to be drinking coffee. <laughs> so, yes, it's got about four people in it, bopping away to some stock music, and there he finds Pavla. Pavla then gets captured because the Russians are after her. They find her through Mike holding her coat, She's then taken away. She hides out sort of overnight and then makes her way to a Russian broadcaster who sends messages back to Russia. But unfortunately, she doesn't know that they're in with the KGB agents. She's sending what she thinks is a message to her family who thinks she's dead. But the episode ends with the KGB coming in, uh, taking her at force. But she reaches out to Mike because she's. Te- it turns out she's telepathic and can read people's minds. So she screams out for Mike. Mike arrives, and he's held at knife point with a knife to his throat. Yeah, and he's knocked unconscious, so he can't draw him away. Drama yeah. upon drama. Mike gets mm-hmm. a good hard beating a few times through this story. I mean, frankly, Mike deserves it, because he is an utter liability. In pretty much everything he, d- he touches turns to disaster. Well, whoever that oh, actor is... I don't know is. what you mean. What, what could Mike possibly do that's going to get him into trouble? Um, breathing seems to do it. <laughs> he does have a, a particular knack for doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Well, whoever that actor is that's playing the, the, the Russian heavy, he's taking that job quite seriously, acting-wise. Because when he grips Mike in the nightclub, it's not a... A gentle acting grip on a teenage, a young teenage boy. It's a proper Russian grip, and he's smacked into that counter, and props go flying everywhere. And you think that actually looks like it did quite hurt. And then when uh, when he jaunts in, I think at the end of episode one, you can hear the punch to the chest that Mike gets, and it's difficult to feel too sympathetic with him because he is an irritating twat. But it's um. <laughs> I mean, he's the Tomorrow People's Adric, isn't he? Yes, he is. You've got, Without the counting. Well, you've got John and Elizabeth, who are incredibly competent, and then you've got the drag factor. He just disobeys orders left, right, and centre. Everything that I, every episode that I've seen him in, John will say something, or you know, Elizabeth will advise, "Don't do this." That's the precise thing. That as soon as their backs turn, he's off. Uh, that this is what I'm going to do, and to hell with you all. And he always cocks it up. Yeah, well, he causes the really grim end of the story here, doesn't he, by messing it up and going in when he's told not to. Well, yeah, all all the sto- all through the story, they've been trying to get. Oh, Pavla's been trying to get away from the Russians. Everybody at the embassy. The second that you know, what possesses Mike to think that going to the Russian embassy and telling them exactly where she is that she's going to approve of this. And not just that, because uh, there's a whole capture, recapture, escape, recapture. That's the first half of the the second episode. And eat, sleep, get captured, repeat. Yeah, it's 
Doctor Who would yeah. be so proud. Um, <laughs> because, it, because it was very much Doctor Who episode three. <laughs> capture, recapture. So after actually quite a nice little car chase. Yeah, it was quite Sweeney-esque, wasn't it? Yes, they, even the down to the cardboard boxes. all the empty boxes to crash through, which was good. <laughs> and that's all staged by the SIS so that they can capture Pavla. They hook her up to a machine that is draining her memories. The Tomorrow people turn up and disapprove of this because it's hurting her. Michael and Elizabeth say, leave it to us. We've got some contacts up in high places in the government. We will sort this. So off they off they trot. And Mike goes, well, how can I fuck this up a bit more? So he, go, he goes and sees the Russians and says, oh, yeah, the SIS have got, uh, have got your agent and they're draining all her memories with, it, with a machine. Nobody could stand up to it, but it's not her fault. Don't blame it. Can you do something diplomatically? Well, no, um, we can't. And they, and it turns out, no, they can't, but we can, they can detonate the bomb they've put in. So Mike, Mike goes back and finds Pavla being unplugged from the machine because John and Elizabeth's competent plan has worked and she's being handed back to the Russians. And then Mike turns up and said, oh, well, I've wasted all my time talking to the Russians. At which point everybody else in the room goes, oh, fuck, you've, you've really ruined screwed. everything. <laughs> you've mm-hmm. really fouled everything up. Get out of the room because there's going to be kaboom. And even that he won't do. He's going back in with my special powers. I can help. Well, what special powers? You can jaunt. Oh, he he, he does the green glowy unlocking handcuff things as well, and there, there's other bits and pieces he can do. But both John and Elizabeth are massively more competent, and they don't do the oh we can fix this. They do the oh fuck we've got to get out of here. Kaboom! You're on your own now, little girl. Oops. Sorry about this. Yeah. He does this fucking up thing all the time. Really sorry, but we're going to run away now. Yeah. Um, and then he. He runs back into the room. So not only does he get a blown up, he makes a jump out of the window <laughs> and blow blown, up to get yeah. blown up midair. He's a fucking liability. Why, why they don't he just really stick him in a straitjacket and stuck, stick a dummy in his mouth and put him in the corner of the the lab with Tim and the blunted scissors? I mean, tomorrow, people HQ when they're doing their monthly one to ones. What was going on? Why? Why is John not? <laughs> He's not tearing him off a strip. He's not managing Mike very well, is he? He's not developing his usefulness to, to his best ability. Or perhaps he is, and that left to his own devices, Mike would be even more spectacularly useless. <laughs> <laughs> but Tim's there in the background. No, I cannot advise this. Don't do this. Oh, no, there you oh, go. This, this is a terrible idea. This is idea. a bad idea. Don't. Doom, doom, a touch of the dooms. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike goes, oh, fuck it. No, I know I know better than everybody. Yet again, where's that lovely Nazi uniform? <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> oh, why shouldn't I dress up as a Nazi? What are you on about, John? Oh, oh dear. <laughs> That's another one I've subjected Ken to. Yes, uh, uh, not springtime for <laughs> oh, Hitler. What's the bloody name of it? You have my uh, sympathy. <laughs> Hitler's Last Secret. That's the one, yes. Um I've got to say that this was a really enjoyable story. I did really like it. The acting is uniformly terrible. Everybody in it is awful. Pavla is so RP, it's not true. It's like she's Paula Quatermass. Hello. Yes, I was in the KGB for several years, and I've <laughs> my accent has worn slightly I'm- thin. Yeah, I did note down, she's definitely not Russian, is she? <laughs> well, she was actually born in Preston, uh, I found, which is where I'm from. And, oh, right, okay. Yeah. 
1950. But no, she she spent a lot of her time as a page three girl. And as I said to Simon halfway through, very easy on the eye, but her acting talents are appalling. So I don't know what her IMDb credits are. I've not looked, but I'm, I'm suspecting that they're not lengthy. I haven't looked either. Do we have it? Have, you, have we got any alumni in this? Or have you not done? Have you not? I haven't looked. No, you're not bothered this time. We can't be asked. He's got notes. I'm going to turn over to the good doctor here and see what he's written down. Right. Well, my first note is about how terrible the Russian accents are. <laughs> Pavla is absolute cut glass RP, and her handler is almost unintelligible. <laughs> <laughs> For all Mike wants to be James Bond, he is awful, unbelievably awful. Even when he when he goes storming in both times to rescue Pavla, he doesn't bother taking the stun gun, which would, is the thing that would actually enable him to rescue her. <laughs> and sort of very obviously, when John does go to do the rescue later on, he goes armed with the stun gun, so he knows what he's doing. Oh, God, yeah. And with that, there are the three of them, and Mike saying, uh, John saying, oh, it'll only take two of us. And Elizabeth quite reasonably says, well, fair enough, but why does it have to be you two? And he just says, well, don't ask awkward questions. Basically, get back I to the sink lunch. John could be such an idiot at times. <laughs> but in fairness, they did the same thing to Mike later on. When they jaunt off, the, oh, we're going this time. You stay here and play with the crayons. Yeah, but trying not to eat them. Yeah, but <laughs> Mike's an idiot. Well, they do. Even Elizabeth says, you know, you're off to do your James Bond thing. Mike's more James Bend, isn't he? Because he spends half of his time bent double being punched and having the shit kicked out of him by you, everyone. everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If there was an eight-year-old girl in the plot, she'd be kicking the shit out of Mike as well. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the character of Major Hunter. It is Major Hunter, isn't it? The, the British telepath. Yes, yeah. Lots of echoes of Trisha Conway there. I yes, think, very much so. I think the series would have been very different had Anne Curthoys taken up the option of becoming one of the regulars coming back for season four because she, she was offered the, offered the part and turned it down. And I think bringing Trisha into the mix would have made a very different Tomorrow People group than we got. Because realistically, for pretty much the entire run, who do we have in the Tomorrow People that's competent? Um, Elizabeth. John and Elizabeth. That's it, isn't it? John, Elizabeth and Carol. Carol, I'm not familiar Carol's with yet. Carol's season one only. Um, right. But we'll we'll do the Medusa strain sometime soon. And that, that's Thanks. That's, that's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> you have always said that series one, two and three, they're the best cream of the crop, really, after yeah. that. It's all with the, wanking dustbins. It ends up with the wanking dustbins. With the occasional gem like this, because this is series five, this is in Man for Emily territory, but this is superb and really stands out as a, as different to pretty much anything else. I always thought Man for Emily was a bit earlier on, was it? That's a series four, I think. Right. I, I'd got it into my head that it was series two or three, and everyone was quite aghast at how awful it was, monumentally awful that was compared to everything around it. It's the... The absolute low point across all the series. Uh, yeah, it just comes surprisingly early. <laughs> and maybe they learn a few lessons after that. Yes, no leotards. Oh. <laughs> and she was quite a natty dresser, that, that British telepath. She, she'd obviously raided uh, Liz Shaw's hat cupboard. Well, I was actually reminded when she was sat in the car with the hat on, looking. I was reminded of Skagra. <laughs> yes. But without the spangly cloak. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, 
She, and she she's obviously got the bulk of the the costume budget because I think she has about three or four different costumes across the two episodes. So yeah, she's she's in it for the clothes more than anything else. Yeah, but look at what Mike's uh, not Mike. Look at what John's driving around, and we both passed comments on. You know, he's got a a convertible sports car, big leather jacket with sheepskin. How much are they paying yeah, to be a tomorrow he... person? Well, I think when well, exactly the... how does he afford this lifestyle? I think when the big Finnish stories come out, it turns out that he is selling some kind of electronics for um, a vast amount of money, and he's he's kind of British Bill Gates. So. Right, so while the rest of them are on baked beans and spam and getting the bus everywhere, he's he's in his triumph, I think. Well, they don't get the bus. They, they jaunt. They, they jaunt. And Why is he driving his sports car when he could be there in seconds? This is his great big golden dick extension, isn't it? That's uh, Look at me. <laughs> and, you know, somebody has to pay for the, those giant pink hexagons in their head, headquarters. They don't just fall off the shelf in Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice Tim's still on the ceiling in this one, rather than being the smug drinks trolley that he becomes later on. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think we're we're a year away from the new new set or something aren't we so we've got the last gasp of this set and it's good i like the dark lab i like this set much better than the the next one and actually that if the sis know exactly how to get to this current lab it makes sense that they bugger off somewhere else because yeah, that's true originally it was supposed to be one of the abandoned underground stations wasn't it because in the first couple of series you have characters like ginger and lefty who can come and visit them in the lab and they, they've got a uh, an entranceway, and Jedekiah finds his way in. And after this, they've obviously decided that too, far too many people know what the address is. Going we're going move. ex-directory. Yeah. So we're going to move. Mm-hmm. Perhaps <laughs> they just decide that letting Mike loose with his inner interior designer is better than letting him loose anywhere in public. <laughs> so it's, yes, Mike. They might be onto something there. <laughs> we have a terribly, terribly important job for you. Go over there and crayon for your life. My final note, we've and we've already really talked about it, this is not just an unusually dark episode for the Tomorrow People, it's an, an unusually dark episode for kids' TV, even in the 70s, where there, there was quite a bit of... See, I'm getting the vibe from you two that this it didn't really feel like this before or after. This is a bit of a one-off, this one. But I really like the feel of it, because it was quite... All right, the acting is shit. But the story, the feel of it, it was all quite serious. Not even science fiction, it was just serious drama. It it was kind of the sandbaggers for kids. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's very unusual. I remember when I watched the series through for the first time on DVD and was just sort of following it through. So we'd had a really, really boring space adventure before this one that seemed to last for about 100 years called Out of the Unknown. Or into the unknown, sorry, out of the unknown. That's something different entirely. And it's but, another yeah, one where and, they do um, endless time loops, isn't it? Um, which, unless yeah. they're very well done, just get incredibly tedious. And that yeah, got incredibly not tedious. Well done. And then this one just was like a punch in the stomach after that. It was just so unexpectedly grim and dark and unusual. It just felt like the series had really jumped up in quality hugely. And unfortunately, it's not sustained. But this this one, I think, is my favourite Tomorrow People story of them all. Mm. I just like it because it's so different to everything else. I can see why it would be. I think my favourite is the blue and the green. 
I can see why that would be yours. It's, <laughs> That's it's a, really a little good bit story yeah, as well. It's a little bit over long, but it's a really, really good story. I yeah. love the Medusa story. And it's probably more representative of the Tomorrow People than this is, actually. But the, the Dirtiest Business is a, a fantastic story. And it, it's probably the last high point. I don't think there's anything that comes after this that is even close to being as good. No. There are elements of the Revenge of Jedekiah, particularly with the Colonel Masters and Trisha Conway subplots that kind of tie in with the, the whole SIS thing. It's kind of a, a more gritty extension of the um, Professor Corston character from the, the earlier series. They weren't for paying for incidental music, though, were they? Every time they wanted incidental music, they just uh, play the title scene. Yeah, but when you've got something that good. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um- They'd paid Dudley Simpson at the start to do some variations on his theme that they could play in as incidental music as well. So they make quite good use of those throughout. Well, it, it filled a gap. Uh, every time they wanted a, a car chase, they just played that over it. Mm-hmm. It is a good theme. They, I think the only criticism I've got with the title sequences, the way that the story titles appear, uh, they keep zooming at you. It's very distracting. And not great for epileptics. No. No, not at all. In terms of story titles, the second episode being called A Spy Dies um, is kind of... The Deadly Assassin. Well, it's it's taking some of the the sting out of the end of it because Pavla's death comes as a massive surprise. Yes. Yeah, who else is it going to be, really? Well, they've got any number of um, Russians to choose from, but yeah, realistically, it's going to be here. Although, in fairness, I didn't expect to dive out of a window on fire. No, that's true. That That's a very unexpected end for the character. In a children's TV series. Yep, at tea time. Yeah, exactly. The only note I've got left is a question. Why can't Pavla read the radio producer's mind? Well, because it's established that she can read, she reads the minds of everybody she comes in contact mm. with, but she doesn't know she's doing it. No, but the, the, the radio producer specifically says she can't read my mind. But? Which implies mm. that there is some specific training that the KGB do mm. to stop her from reading minds, which firstly means knowledge of her and her ability and any other telepaths that they have hanging around is reasonably well known for a, a fairly low-level operative to know about it and have been trained against it. Yeah. But also that whole bit that the SIS come out with, with um, she doesn't know what she's doing and she's met all the KGB's um, highest level agents and she's just siphoned all this information out of their mind, is a load of rubbish because the, the Russians know how to protect against it. Now, maybe it's the Russians know how to protect against it and the SIS don't realise that. But it does mean that that brain drain is suddenly less of a valuable thing than they previously thought. Well, possibly. I, I always wondered whether it was something Roger Price had set up that he was thinking, well, maybe this would sort of expand it across the world and it's something I can come back to. And then he just goes on and writes his usual campy nonsense afterwards and forgets <laughs> about it. But it's an, an interesting thing that he could have come back to, I think, and really sort of explored. And I think if the series was, was being made now, then that is exactly what they would do. They'd seed all these ideas that there are different kinds of tomorrow people across the world and well, they have some of them might have different abilities and different capabilities and it's how sort of the differences and how they're used. Yeah, Sue Tai. Bear in mind, I am not as familiar with um, any of these as you are. Sue Tai was monumentally bad, wasn't she? Monumentally. I mean, that's, that's yes. one of the worst characters I've ever seen on screen. 
So have you seen the American remake from oh, about 10 years ago? Yes, I did. I did watch the American reboot. Yeah. What's it like? Because I haven't seen it. Um, it's not very tomorrow people-y. <laughs> That's, that was my main takeaway from it. It was fine. It was very American sort of teen drama overwrought and ridiculous in many ways but it was quite serious and mostly taking the core elements of people breaking out and being able to teleport but there it was a sort of huge international conspiracy from what i remember it's a long time back since i've seen it now so it's all a bit sort of dim but they did get nicholas young in i was going to say i thought they'd got john back was rather nice but I, i don't think he was playing john was he no, no, he wasn't, sadly. But they, it was a, lo- a lovely nod to, hmm. to him. And he had a, a couple of episodes where he appeared, which was nice. But it wasn't bad, but it didn't feel like the Tomorrow People. It was all a bit too grown up, really. They were all um, American teenagers, so all played by people in their late 20s. <laughs> yeah, one of whom was cousin of Thingy Amstel, who played the lead role in Arrow. That's right, yes. And presumably spent most of, most of all of the episodes with his shirt off because that was pretty much the, yes, <laughs> which had well probably I mean, I'm not going to complain about a lot but... of the audience who would be tuning in. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's said very innocently, sir. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that laugh isn't innocent. <laughs> and I notice there's no denial. No. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm we just all need a hobby. It's fine. <laughs> Well, just while we're strafing the Tomorrow People incarnations, um, we've recently watched the Monsoon Man from the 1990s. Are you familiar with that iteration? Yeah, yeah, I've, I, yeah, I've seen all of those as well for my sins. <laughs> oh, good grief. They, they weren't... I uh, know. Uh, I've had a, <laughs> an unfulfilled life. <laughs> well, it wasn't as terrible as I was expecting, but there's virtually no connection to the 70s series. And none of us, when we watched it, could really see the point. And even when Big Finish come to do their Tomorrow People reboot, it gets about a two-line mention in the first episode. Yeah, but they kill it. Wait, did you say the first ten, uh, first, first minute of dialogue is basically killing off everyone they don't want? Yeah, they, 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 they kill off Sutai, they kill off Kenny, because Kenny is every bit as bad as Sutai. Yeah, poor Kenny. He was not an actor, was he? And to be fair, wasn't the actor about 11 or something? He, he yeah, was he was very, very young. Very young. Um, so not being able to give a consistent and nuanced performance when you're that young, possibly not a massive surprise, but he wasn't great. Yeah, I, I'm going to regret saying this, but I probably need to watch more tomorrow, people. Simon has, uh, the, not long back, he sent me the complete series DVD set through the post. That not long back was about two years ago. Oh, <laughs> there's so much stuff comes through the door. But uh, yeah, I remember, I remember getting that one and thinking, there's a lot of tomorrow people on the quiet, isn't there? We do have a big pile of episodes to be recorded, and we're kind of getting to the point where we're, we're doing a story by story tomorrow people in the same way as we're doing a, <laughs> a, Doctor. a, a Doctor Who with the randomizer, <laughs> except that I've kind of picked all the terrible tomorrow people because I quite enjoy torturing Ken with them. Oh, nothing. I don't think anything <laughs> is going to beat the nightmare that was a man for Emily. That was no, a, it never plums those depths again. It never quite gets down as far as that. I'm almost disappointed, but no, that was recorded at about three o'clock in the morning. We were absolutely slaughtered, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's the only way to do it, really. 
It still yeah. didn't improve the experience. That was monumentally bad. But I get the feeling that all Tomorrow People fans think the same way, that it's it's not regarded very highly by anybody. Even I don't think there is. Fiction, uh, there, there are people who love it for all the wrong reasons, but I don't think there's anyone in their right minds who would say that was a quality production <laughs> in any way whatsoever. Well, we don't do commentaries for anything other than Doctor Who, and Simon decided that night we were going to do a full watch along commentary. At the time, I remember thinking, we don't usually do this. Why are you doing this? And then uh, as we got into it, he just wanted to capture my reactions on tape. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand why. <laughs> I remember when I was dating Matt, who is a mm. massive um, Fifth Doctor fan, I played that opening sequence to Man for and he was absolutely traumatised. A pre-credit sequence, which is just, hello, this is Peter Davison with no clothes on. And cue the sick. And a terrible wig. <laughs> Spankly pants, and Shirley Temple it, yeah. wig. Oh, dear. And I don't get them watching. <laughs> And staying with ITV on a, on a whatever afternoon it was. Uh, I'm going to wrap my final thought up is that I really did enjoy this. Compared to all the other Tomorrow People episodes that I've seen so far, this is more akin to what I personally would have liked to have seen. The flavour of it, the dark, it, it, uh, darkness, but it was darker. It was more serious. There was um, uh, an element of it that it drew in other factions. So I think the, there was a wider universe referenced. Uh, there was some reference to people across the galaxy. The Galactic Federation was referenced. You had the British intelligence, the Russian intelligence. The style of the thing, certainly with the location work on film, all right, there wasn't a great lot of it, but it just raised the bar a little bit and it turned it into a a more serious bit of drama than the, well, up to now, up to this point, the terrible shit that I've been exposed to. This, I think if they'd done it this sort of style all the way through, I'd probably enjoy the series a lot more. I suspect they were able to get away with this because it was a one-off and I don't think they would have been allowed to do a continuous series that is as bleak and dark as this. Uh, maybe not continuous, but, but just a little bit less silly. I mean, all right, you've picked examples, but I know damn well at some point we're going to have wanking dustbins. And actually, from this point on, I can't think of a story that isn't silly on a sort of Hitler's Last Secret Living Skins kind of level. Well, they're all at that sort of level. Pretty much. Oh, dear. So, yeah, what do I'm you think? So. But they are only two-parters from this point onwards, so at least they're over quickly. Until you get so to So some of the, the earlier stories are six-parters and five-parters, so they last a bit longer. But these ones at least are compact. I mean, they are, they're only sort of 22, 23-minute episodes, and the first five minutes of each one is taken up with a recap from preceding episodes. So they were getting away with it on the cheap. But I, if they wanted it to be an ITV, you know, sort of um, alternative to Doctor Who, they could have ramped up the dark a little bit, I think. They were missing a trick with that. And, and one of the things I was going to ask you both, Roger Price, did he write the whole lot or was anybody else ever, did anyone else ever write it? I'm not sure. I think he wrote pretty much all of them, didn't he? Yeah, I think there are a couple that he didn't do. And I think he was so dissatisfied with other people's writing that he took over and said, no one else is doing this. I have a feeling someone else wrote Into the Unknown, which is the previous story with the big space loop. And he was so dissatisfied with that story that he, he just said, if, if it's coming back, I'm going to write the whole lot now. Yeah, Into the Unknown makes Sapphire and Steel, uh, the railway station story, look dynamic. 
Oh my god. <laughs> we, we unfortunately we it lost. Move fast. Oh dear, oh dear. That was um that was a, a four part story that someone had said, Look, can you just stretch it out to eight episodes? What's going on? I don't know. Do you know what's going on? I don't know. I'll wander over here. Maybe what was that that just happened? I don't know. For eight episodes. I hold my hand up to, to that because I did make a massive tactical error by getting you to watch all eight episodes back to back while I was cooking. It's kind of like getting somebody to watch all 10 episodes of the War Games back to back and expecting you to find it as entertaining as it is watching two episodes at a time. If you watch yeah, that it doesn't move fast. episode by episode, it's actually quite good. And the underlying story is brilliant. It's just stretched out way beyond its ability to hold the story. See, the war games, I was nice. I'd, it was the, the last Patrick Troughton story that I'd not seen or had any exposure to at all before. I knew that we were doing it for the podcast, so I, I didn't, I deliberately didn't watch it. So it was a, a wonderful journey for me when we finally did. But it was, I've always been under the impression it's this huge, great, flabby story padded out way, way beyond it should be. In actual fact, maybe episode six and seven get a little bit paddy, but the rest of it, it's not actually that bad. Yeah, if that was an eight-parter, so you had the um, a, a six-parter doing all the stuff on the actual war games, mm. and the, then you have your, your two-part trying to escape from the Time Lords and trial, which is pretty much a, a separate story. Yes. And actually could have been a separate story. Mm. If you had that, it would be really tight and really compelling. But as with all of 60s Doctor Who, if you watch it an episode at a time or a couple of episodes at a time, it is brilliant because that's the way it was designed to be watched. It was, you weren't meant to watch the chase in a whole three hour chunk. You were meant to watch it in half hour chunks. If you look at 60s and 70s Doctor Who like that and look at it the way it's designed to be watched and the, the same with Tomorrow People and the changes and Children's Stones, Raven, all of those 70s kids TV dramas that can get a bit slow and flabby in the middle. You watch them episode by episode, the way that they were directed to be to be seen. They're really good. I agree to an extent. I think there's a bit of a, a crossover though. When you once you hit the mid seventies, the majority of stuff that's multi part, like Children of the Stones, I could happily watch back to back and, and mm. love. Uh, but stuff like that leaps to mind is stuff like Talons of Wang Chiang, Seeds of Doom. Or right, it could be argued Seeds of Doom is a two parter and a four parter. But um, most seventy six parters yeah. are two plus four. Yeah. But Talons of Wen Chiang isn't, and I can happily plough through all six of that. Sharda, all six of that, no bother. So the- Sharda's four plus two, because you've got the Cambridge stuff that then disappears, and then you've got all the um, all the Sharda stuff in the final two episodes. Oh, yes, I suppose. Yes, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think as the pace of storytelling increases, the more watchable it is in one one go. So the 60 stories are, in a lot of cases, slower pace. So it feels like a bit more of a slog if you're going to watch the whole lot in one go. But by the mid-70s, their stories are moving on a bit quicker and a bit faster and there's a bit more action and a bit more going on generally. And for for some shows, that that slower pacing works brilliantly. And I'm, I'm particularly thinking about the Owl Service here. That's eight hour long episodes. It's a slow burn, but it's an absolutely brilliantly acted and directed slow burn. We're going off topic. I'm going to drag us back here. As a final thought, Si, what do you think of the episode overall? Is it a yes or a no for this one? 
Oh yes, definitely. Yeah, as I said, this is this is my favourite episode of the Tomorrow People. I just like it because it shows us what the show could do on a really good day when everyone is sort of working together, and it's yeah, it all sort of comes together in a way that Tomorrow People doesn't often. So yeah, I'm really fond of this one. I love its bits. On that note, boys and girls, I'm going to sign us off. Thank you, all of you, for listening. Thank you, Sai, for joining us. Uh, Again, just a little plug, where can we find you on your other podcasts? You can find me mostly on Maximum Power, the Blake 7 podcast. If you just type that into Google, you'll find us and track down our episodes. And they do every episode with big serverland arms. Definitely. And you're on a lot of episodes of Hamster with the Blunt Pen Knife, which is a Doctor Who commentary podcast. I am, and I'm on, yeah, more than anyone oh. else so far, and there are still more to come. So I keep getting asked back. So, so, lovely, so enjoyable. Lovely I've, podcast I've, to do. I have just finished listening to your Modern Undead, which was wonderful. And I know we've we've had a chat about ideas that that raised, and uh, your oh, your Nightmare of Eden. It's a story I love, but the Hamster with the Blunt Pen Knife episodes were wonderful. Yes, and we're hoping to have you on with me and Joe sometime soon, Simon. So we're looking oh, forward yeah, to that. Oh, yeah, just let me know when because I, I, I cannot wait to discuss that story. But for now, boys and girls, we're going to sign off. Thank you, all of you. We'll be back next time. And Si, please come back. Think of something else that you'd like to rip apart with us. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank you very much for the invite. I'd love to do it. This has been a joy. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra, and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.